It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Jamie Goldberg. I'm here as always with Caitlin Murray. And I think we have a lot of games to talk about, a lot of playoff implications to talk about. We're really getting to that point in the season. Uh, So there's a lot going on uh, that I think we got to get to tonight. There is, but I think there is a more important piece of news, way more important than (laughs) playoffs, Jamie. You had some news that you announced on Twitter. For our listeners who are not on Twitter... Why don't you let them know what you're up to? Yeah, yeah, I guess we should probably get to that first. Uh, There are a lot of listeners of the pod that have been asking about this, and obviously I posted on Twitter. For those that aren't on Twitter, um, as I posted last week, I will be covering the Blazers as of actually today. We're recording Monday night. This was my first day as the Argonian beat reporter for the Blazers. I am still covering Timbers and Thorns through the end of the season, so you can still reach out to me with any questions and I'll still be posting coverage around games and playoffs and following all these playoff implications for the next few weeks uh, or month, month-ish if the Penn Timbers uh, you know, make some sort of run or the Thorns do as well. Um, but I am on the Blazers now and uh, moving forward, won't be covering the Timbers and Thorns uh, anymore. So yeah, it's, it's a bit crazy. It's been an amazing six years. I I really feel like I've grown up as a journalist with these two teams. And I think more than a lot of other fan bases, just how much the Timbers and Thorns fan base actually interacts with journalists on Twitter through this podcast. Um, it's made me feel like I've really gotten to know a lot of the readers. So, um, it wasn't an easy decision. I think it's always good to have a fresh perspective on the beat. And I, I hope whoever uh, covers Timbers and Thorns for the Argonian in the future can bring in a different perspective and tell new stories. Um, and, and I hope I can do the same on the Blazers beat. But yeah, it, it's it's going to be different and um, definitely a big change in six years that are always going to, I think, be really memorable to me. Yeah, I think I speak for all the listeners when I say we are going to miss your coverage. We're going to miss uh, seeing you tweet about soccer. I have to say it was a little weird today, (laughs) Jamie, seeing your tweets come across my timeline and you're talking about the Trailblazers. You know, the seasons aren't over yet and we already have our biggest offseason move for, uh, for the Timbers and Thorns. But inevitably, that has led a lot of people to ask about the future of the podcast. So... As far as what's going to happen with the podcast, Jamie and I are going to keep doing it until the Timbers and Thorns seasons wrap up. After that point, to be perfectly honest, it's a bit unclear. Jamie is not going to be covering soccer for the Oregonian anymore, so she's not going to continue to be on the podcast. 
For the foreseeable future, I will continue covering soccer for various outlets. I don't know any specific plans for 2020 at this point. You know, I joined the podcast really because Jamie and I, to be honest, talk a lot of shop. We, we talk a lot about soccer, so it made sense that we would talk about it on the podcast. I thought it would be really fun, and it has been fun. So we'll have to see what happens. I would point out this podcast, for listeners who are maybe a little newer, this podcast is something we inherited. Soccer Made in Portland has gone on for many years, many iterations, many different hosts. So, you know, there may be another era coming ahead as Jamie exits, but we'll have to see. I think for now, we should just enjoy the time that we have together with Jamie, continuing to talk about the Timbers and Thorns until the end of the seasons, and we will update you guys as we know more. Yeah, we will see uh, what the new era, or if, or if there's a new era of the podcast, what that looks like. But like you said, let's get into the Timbers and Thorns talk. There is a lot to talk about on the Timbers side, I, I think. Let's start there. Two very exciting games, uh, to say the least. Too exciting. <laughs> yeah, definitely too exciting. Um, At least from our recapping perspective. Absolutely. Especially the first game we'll get to, Timbers versus New England. Uh, for anyone who knows a journalist's deadline, when the game changes in the end of stoppage time, uh, which was a huge talking point in this game, it is not the easiest thing when you're working with a print deadline. But <laughs> <laughs> I predicted a 2-0 loss. Uh, I thought the Timbers would hit a crossbar. That didn't happen. You said a 1-1 draw with an Abobasi goal. You. I just want to state that my prediction, it was actually just half of what happened. Yeah. If you had doubled <laughs> my prediction, exactly, 2-2 draw, two Abobasi goals, I think you know, then I would have been right. So yeah, no, I, that was pretty close. And I would have been I got pretty... a half pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would have been pretty impressive if you had been predicting two true, uh, given that the Timbers goal scoring drought was at three games heading into this one. It yeah. ended with the Bobasi's first goal at 319 minutes. That is, I think, unfortunately for the Timbers, a, a club record for longest time at home without a goal. Yeah. Um, but they did score two goals. So coming out of this game, let's start there. What did you think? Did you think this was the sort of a turning point for the Timbers in, in the attack? Or are the same concerns kind of there for you? Well, I think first and foremost, the Timbers really needed to get past that scoring drought. Because, I mean, Jamie, you and I would go to the locker room for the past three games and the players' heads would be down. You could see it in their body language. They looked frustrated. They looked to be lacking confidence. And it kind of felt like it was hard to see how they were ever going to pull themselves out of this funk as long as they were not scoring goals. They didn't have to be pretty goals. They didn't have to be, you know, beautiful team goals. They just needed to get on the scoreboard. So I think scoring against the Revs is basically why they were able to score in Kansas City and why they have been able to build on that performance. I think momentum in sports is a real thing. I know some people don't, but I think you can build on performances and they sort of snowball. So that is the most important takeaway from that game. In terms of does it signal that the team has figured things out, uh, that would be a hard no from me. I, I don't think so. I think there continue to be some real concerns about a lack of consistency, a lack of finishing, a lack of ideas. I am not convinced that the Timbers have enough ways to 
attack opponents when what they are doing is not working. Still, I think, you know, back-to-back two frustrating draws with the Revs and Kansas City, but I think scoring goals was the most important thing, so that is the positive I am going to take away. Yeah, I mean, to your last point, the Timbers are winless in their last five games. They've only won two of their last nine games. Things haven't looked right for basically two months now. And and yeah. so I, I think it would be hard taking one performance and, and saying that this, this team has turned a corner, particularly in the context of the Kansas City game, which we'll get to as well. I don't think there's a sign right now that this team is suddenly hitting its stride or anything like that. I think, as you said, though, the attack getting on the board is very important. I think for Bobasi specifically, it was very important because when you talk about the players having their heads kind of down in the locker room, I, I felt like a Bobasi was the prime example of that. And you could see it translating onto the field earlier in the New England game. He had an opportunity to put away what should have been a goal, wasn't able to do that. And we've mm-hmm. seen him do that so many times in the last few games. And He's getting in those spots. Other players aren't even getting in those spots. They're not even getting those opportunities. But it was clear that it was getting to him uh, mentally. And that's just something that you have to get out of that sort of funk as a striker. Uh, You can't stay in that too long. So I think for him specifically, for the team in general, yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's a positive. I think that this team even with one game left at a point you want them to be hitting their stride still has a lot of work to do. And Uh, I don't think the draw in New England changed that, against New England changed that. Yeah, I think that scoring was one of the takeaways. I think you and I were both desperate for there to be goals again. (laughs) We were getting a little bored of the Timbers not scoring. But I think the other big talking point from the Revs game had to do with the refereeing and some of those decisions that uh, changed the game. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the two referee decisions, well, really uh, three, if you want to not just talk about specific calls Mm. on the field. Um, The three decisions that the referee had that I I think everyone pointed to after was the referee's decision to extend stoppage time from four to six minutes. Uh, After the game, the referee said that had to do with the Timbers making two subs in stoppage time. Uh, which is not really a reason I've actually heard a referee make before, but I guess if he thought that was taking up a lot of time um, and time wasting. So he extended stoppage time two minutes. The Timbers did not like that. They were up in arms about that (laughs) towards the end of the game and in the locker room. And then at the very end of those uh, six minutes, uh, pretty close to six minutes, he awards the revs a penalty kick. Larry Smabiala pulls a shirt in the box I think that that definitely can be a penalty kick. Um, We can get to our opinion on it. But I think the the third play that sort of uh, made the Timbers so upset about that was that earlier in the half, Jeremy Abobasi had been pulled down in the box as well, and that wasn't called. Mm -hmm. So what did you think? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, they were very, very upset. Should they have been? They made a point to rally on uh, social media and let everyone know how much they disagreed with that. Uh, Look, my opinion is I did not find it weird that the game went an extra two minutes. MLS has made it a huge point of emphasis to crack down on time wasting. That is why when we used to see the normal three to four minutes typically. Now it is not unusual to see six, seven, eight minutes of stoppage time. MLS wants to punish 
time-wasting, perceived or actual, that really I don't think was a big deal. As far as the penalty kick, the Timbers really drove home that point that Jeremy Obobese was tugged on his jersey, should have earned a PK for that, and did not. I would also note that Jeremy Obobese was actually in a position to score on Wilfred Zaibo's, uh, I hope that's how you say his name, Wilfred Zaibo's penalty. He took a dive, and he really tried to sell it. And in my opinion, I would have rather seen Zaibo get a yellow card for simulation, but I also think that simulation yellow cards are really difficult to give because you're never 100% sure of a player's intentions. So you can't really give that, but I do think it was a dive. I also think Zaibo was not in a scoring position, so I don't think it should have been a penalty, but I also don't think Jeremy Obobese should have been a penalty. So um, I do think that the Timbers can feel aggrieved that the Revs got that penalty. I think the other things are just sort of red herrings. Yeah, I I think that I guess we agree that the Timbers should feel upset about this. I think we disagree a little bit on on, um, the plays. I I think I I think that in the situation with Mabiala um, shirt pulling in the box, you could say that there was a dive there. But I think once the referee went to video review and saw that Mabiala was, in fact, pulling another player's shirt, I think that's enough cause to issue a penalty kick. Um, I don't think that's something that necessarily would have been called in a pre-VAR era. But I I understand why that was called given once he saw the video because it's – I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. There's either shirt pulling or there's not. And even if there's a dive there, I mean, you are inhibiting the player if you are holding onto their shirt. I yeah, think I did forget to say, not to interrupt you, yeah. I did forget to say that I think that shirt tugging actually happens all the time. Oh, and yeah. it's really inconsistently called. So yeah. I guess that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. If it is allowed to slide so many times, why at this point in the game... On a play where he was not in a position to score, why is that the shirt pull that is a penalty? So I think that's kind of where I'm coming from with it. To the letter of the law, I don't know, maybe, but in terms of the amount of times we see those shirt tugs, I don't know. I just, I have a hard time thinking that really should have been a penalty. Yeah, and I, in in that sense, I, I guess I agree with you. I because I think the Jeremy Bobasi shirt pull was way worse. And so, if you're going to call one, why was the one called late in stoppage time against the Timbers? Because I, I think yeah. it was very clear that Bobasi's wasn't a dive, and it wasn't just he felt shirt pulling that he could not not go down. You know, so I. Mm-hmm. I think the Timbers, uh, this was rough for the Timbers. I, in terms of the time-wasting, I don't know if I saw six the time-wasting to warrant two extra minutes, but at the same time, yeah. that stuff is so... Um, it, it's just up to the referee, and it's hard to really, uh, I think, be too upset about that because you see it from game to game, and sometimes the time goes a little bit longer, and sometimes it doesn't, and... I don't know. It, it, it was a bit strange. I think I've, I haven't heard a referee use substitutions as a reason to extend stoppage time before, but he added right. time wasting to that. I think he thought that the Timbers were trying to yeah. waste time. And so he chose to punish it is, I mean, that's a guess though. We, we don't really know. We don't get that much information from referees. So we have to try to read into it and figure it out. But yeah. I think a, what a lot of people wanted to know, though, and Michael asked 
one, was one of the people that asked about this, but a lot of people asked in the context of um, these games over, over the last week is why the Timbers have been on the wrong side of, of so many dubious calls this season. Because I, I think at this point, with the number of times we've talked about calls and, and sort of the buildup, there's almost getting to be this feeling, both, you know, even being in the locker room, hearing the Timbers and, and um, what we're seeing on social media of, the refs are against the Timbers or something like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Michael's question just clearly implies that there is a reason for it. That is not random chance or bad luck. So Michael is implying that there might be a conspiracy. Uh, what I would say is in terms of the Revs game, I kind of feel like my takeaway was that Jeremy Obobese should have just dived on that play where his Jersey was pulled because Diving works. I mean, we hate it. We hate diving. We hate when players whine to referees. But what we consistently see is that it actually works. And I think the Revs game sort of proved that. And we don't want that to be what soccer is. But if referees are going to fall for it, then players are going to do it. And players should do it. So... That was sort of my takeaway. Jeremy Abobasi is just too honest as a soccer player. He needs to be a little more cynical, get down in the dirt, and uh, roll around 80 times and act like uh, you know a player tried to take his head off. Um, but as far as Michael's question, I think his question is getting to more of an overall sense of the referees being against the Timbers and the Thorns this season. And... It's funny, I've seen fans kind of on social media wondering aloud if the Iron Front stuff has caused the league to conspire against the Timbers. I don't think that's true. I think that's ridiculous. I think after Mark Parsons uh, smushed uh, some dirt and grass (laughs) into his hand and shook a referee's hand and got suspended, and the referee union came out and condemned not just Mark Parsons, but they felt that the league didn't take it seriously enough. I think there were real concerns that the referees might have it out for Portland. I haven't seen that either. I think the refereeing in the NWSL is just universally terrible. And I think if we went back and looked at who's benefiting, I don't know that anyone is benefiting. I think all the coaches in the NWSL think that the refereeing is terrible. So... Michael, I wish I could give you an answer. I wish I could say there's a conspiracy or the soccer gods hate Portland, but I think it probably is just coincidence and bad luck. Yeah, I I think it is. It has to be bad luck. I I think that there's a lot of calls we've talked about this year. I don't think all of them are as controversial when taken individually as they kind of are when you take it as a collective whole. Uh, I think you can definitely take some specific calls out of there and say those don't really count when we're looking at all the calls that have gone against the Timbers because they really weren't as controversial as it felt like in the moment. Um, Then there are, I I think, like this New England game where where what happened does feel a little bit more like it was unfairly called against the Timbers, but it happens. And for whatever reason, there's been a a few that's gone against the Timbers this way. But yeah, there's no conspiracy Referees are human. They make mistakes. Maybe they lean too far one way or the other in an individual game. But um, I, I absolutely believe, do not believe that there's any sort of conspiracy going on against the Timbers. Yeah, and I think you make a good point that not all of these 
are actually that controversial. And it can seem like the referees are out to get you when everything is a terrible call and everything is against the Timbers. We consistently talk about these controversial calls on this podcast, and I think there are a couple we have actually agreed were bad calls against the Timbers, but I think there are a lot that we have dismissed and said, if you kind of look at it objectively, these are not calls that were unfair to the Timbers. So I think there's some of that. There's some of wanting to believe that the referees are out to get you because your team, let's be honest, just isn't playing that well. So you might be looking for other things to blame. Uh, There has, I mean, there has been some bad luck. I think what happened in the Revs game was unfair. I, I don't think that should have been a penalty late, and that leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth. But yeah, there's no conspiracy. At least there's no evidence for one. But uh We'll, we'll dig around if there is one. We'll let you guys know. <laughs> well, one last thing I wanted to touch on, not really necessarily coming out of the New England game, although we were discussing it around the New England game, but uh, let's just touch on it here. Um, last week, it also came out that Diego Valeri is in um, sort of his contract negotiations with the Timbers have stalled. Diego Valeri wants a new two-year DP contract, keeping up a similar salary that he's at now. It sounds like the Timbers would like to give him a contract that would put him under the DP threshold so that they can go out and get another DP. That would mean that Larry would be taking a substantial pay cut. We asked him about it after the new England game. He said he wasn't going to comment on it till the end of the season to be respectful to his teammates and the situation the Timbers are in right now in terms of the playoff race. Um, but what do you think with all this news coming out? Do you think that the Timbers should resign Valeri if it means offering him a two year DP deal? Well, there's a saying in sports that it's better to let a player go early than too late. And I think I can understand why the Timbers would not want to tie up a DP slot on Diego Valeri for 2020 and 2021. Valeri is making around $2.5 million, so he would need to accept a pay cut of I think at least a million dollars to get under the threshold to be a TAM player. So I can also understand that Diego Valeri does not want to take a $1 million cut. I do think this is a tough predicament for the Timbers, though, because morale, we talked about it in the last podcast, morale has not been great this season. And I don't think there's any player on the Portland Timbers that is more beloved than Diego Valeri. I mean, there are a lot of players that the fans love, I don't think there's anyone more than Diego Valeri. So I think it would really upset fans if Diego Valeri were to leave and go play somewhere else because I don't think he's ready to retire. So if he's not going to play in Portland, I think he would probably end up at another MLS team, to be honest. I I would be surprised if he went back to Argentina. Uh, His family is settled here. You know, his daughter has lived in the United States her whole life. So seeing Diego Valeri play for another MLS team, I think would be a bitter pill to swallow for fans. So, you know, and when you look at his contributions to the Timbers, I think there's a case to be made that the club should be really grateful for what he's done and reward him for what he's done over the years. But you don't get rewarded for what you've done in the past. It's what have you done for me lately? And Diego Valeri is 33 We're talking about a contract that goes to when he is 35, which 35 is old for a soccer player. So uh, 
I think maybe, and I'm interested what you think on this, Jamie. I think maybe what the Timbers could do is front load his contract, give him a pretty lucrative 2020 DP contract, and then drop that salary for 2021 so it's under the DP threshold. That's assuming that the most important thing here is the DP slot. If the Timbers are actually concerned less about the DP slot, more just about him performing and being a valuable player on the field, then maybe make him a DP for 2020 and then just make some like minimum performance thresholds. And if he hits them, he's automatically a DP for 2021. I don't know that he would take it. I think you should probably go with a guaranteed contract and never do performance-based contracts, but I mean, that's an option as well. I don't know. I think the other thing that looms over all of this is how serious is Diego Valeri about leaving, about playing at another club in MLS, about going to Argentina? Because I think clearly he's been planting the seeds that he's been open to leaving. We talked about it in the last podcast, but it's hard to tell if it's just contract negotiations or if there is really a chance that he is willing to leave. Yeah, I I think... If this was a a league with less of a hard salary cap, we'd see the Timbers reacting differently. You see it in Major League Baseball all the time. Players get paid for what they've done, not what they're going to do. They get rewarded. And those are bad contracts from a business perspective, but is rewarding players that have already served the club and you want to give them the money. And it doesn't really matter because you're not dealing with a hard salary cap league where you have only 3DP slots. So that's what the Timbers, the situation is more difficult, I think, in MLS because my initial instinct is say, yeah, pay pay the guy. I mean, it's Diego Valera. You want him to retire here. He's a club legend. Why would you let him go away? Mm-hmm. But it's really handicapping the team if you're forced to put him on two more years as a DP, yeah. assuming his production will go down over that time. And knowing that this is a league right now, the Timbers are in, sixth or seventh, and that's what they're going to finish this year. They need to get better. And if they can't use their best resource, which is a DP slot, um, I, that puts them in a really difficult situation. So I like some of your ideas of how the Timbers can creatively get around this. If it's down to the money, I think that's a problem. The Timbers should not be pinching pennies here with, when it comes to the best player in club history. But if it's right around the DP slot, we saw it with Zlatan. There are creative um mechanisms to try <laughs> to get around uh giving a player a dp slot for a two-year deal hopefully the timbers know what those mechanisms <laughs> are because i still think there are a lot of questions yes. about how zlatan was a tam player and then he became a dp <laughs> player and clearly well paid all the way through was just scoring constantly definitely better than a tam player yeah hopefully gavin wilkinson uh you know has the Galaxy front office on speed (laughs) dial. He can find out how they found that loophole. We are not privy to that, but you're right. There are ways to get around MLS rules. That's the whole point of MLS. It's the (laughs) wild, wild west. They just change rules, find loopholes. I'm sure Gavin Wilkinson can do it, uh, but we'll have to see. It, It definitely seems like this is getting down to the wire. I think we talked about in the last podcast that if his, if Diego Valeri's contract was going to be renewed, we, feel like we would have heard something by now. So 
this is dragging on a little bit, but it is going to be a major story for the yeah, offseason. Absolutely. Um, and especially when Diego, he, he said he's going to talk about it. So I, I think hearing more of his side, so we're not just sit repeating what's out there what would will be interesting when he does choose to talk about it but mm-hmm. um we have at least a few more weeks before that's going to happen let's get into the second game of the week timbers versus kansas city timbers draw another 2-2 draw another crazy game our predictions were not great on either side i said 2-1 win you said a 2-0 win mm. um i said an above city brace in this one so i, I missed it by a game um, and you said a Fernandez <laughs> goals, which I, I'm not sure Fernandez is ever going to score again at this moment. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into the what happened in the game. I interestingly enough, the Timbers scored the first goal, and that's something this season when they've scored the first goal, they have a pretty strong record. Yeah. Uh, but they immediately concede the equalizer, and, and then right out of halftime, they concede again. We talked about a little bit about this, I think, coming out of the Atlanta game, uh, Seattle game, right out of halftime, uh, them conceding. What do you think this speaks to? A problem with the mentality, the defense, or was something else going on in this game? Yeah, it's kind of tough to say. I do think that they looked a bit tired in the first half, sort of like uh, they had bricks for feet or something. Uh, And then when they came out of the locker room at halftime, I thought they just looked sort of switched off. And, you know, they complained about being tired the last time we saw them. That was, like, their number one talking point. Maybe they were planting the seeds, so if they had a terrible performance, they could say that's what it was. But I do think they looked a little bit tired. I also sort of wonder about the team mentality. I mean, last year that was such an important part of the team and played such a role in the team. I'm trying to remember 16 games unbeaten, I think it was went all the way to MLS Cup, mentality was sort of the number one talking point. And I haven't really seen that this year. I think that Giovanni Savarese is the kind of coach who rallies the troops with fiery, motivating speeches. But that's only going to get you so far if the players are tired, if morale isn't good, if the team is lacking cohesion and chemistry, if there aren't good enough game plans to beat opponents – I think that Giovanni Savarese's charisma can only get you so far, and there seem to be these other things that are sort of hurting the mentality of the team right now. Yeah, I I think that this team does look tired, and it was their fifth game in 15 days. I I absolutely was shocked, honestly, when Sebastian Blanco scored that opening goal. I I thought Kansas City was (laughs) potentially going to be up 2-0 by halftime based on how the early minutes of that game was looking we're looking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there is an element of fatigue, but yeah, the mentality doesn't seem to be where it has been in the past. It, this doesn't seem like a team that's come together. They've rallied. We talked about last year, a big team meeting that sort of changed the course of the season and led to the MLS cup run. And, and that's what you kind of has to happen. There has to be some breakthrough towards the end of the year, or at least a team hitting their stride. And I just am not seeing that from this group. They just don't, it, 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 they don't look like the team you like want to bet on right now that they're going to suddenly come together because for whatever reason, whether it's the locker room dynamic, whether it's the fatigue, whether it's the personnel, uh, they just don't look like a team that's about to make a run. Yeah. And I think again, sort of the main talking point, similar to the Revs game. I think the main talking point was 
refereeing decisions. In this case, there was essentially a brawl on the field. I mean, it added a little spice. I mean, we had a scoring drought. Now we got all these goals. We have fights. It was a wonderful uh, return to entertainment from the Timbers. But I think that's sort of the main talking point. So Espinoza gets a red card for trying to choke (laughs) Sebastian Blanco. Uh, The more controversial one is Brian Fernandez. He's shown a red card, and it was a little unusual. So Brian Fernandez and Felipe Gutierrez were sort of getting into it. They got in each other's faces. They both saw yellow cards. But then Brian Fernandez reaches his arm out and I guess sort of pats the back of his neck. I mean, it's sort of nothing, but he got a red card over it. So... Well, first of all, were the red cards deserved? And then Laura asks, will the Timbers win their appeal on the Fernandez red card? Yeah, I I mean, the Timbers are definitely appealing. Um, I was told that after the game. I think you were as well. Um, I I absolutely think Espinosa's red card was deserved. He, like you said, basically went to choke Sebastian Blanco. There wasn't much controversy there. What what confused me about the Fernandez red was that it looked like the referee was initially uh, giving him a yellow card for, um, I don't know if it was just, I think it was unsporting behavior. And and then Mm. Fernandez reaches over and and, uh, basically, like you said, taps Gutierrez in the neck and, and then gets the red card. So my initial reaction to that was, was he getting a second yellow for after being shown a yellow for unsporting behavior, just escalating it? And that's not really how it looked on the field. Usually when that happens, they show a second yellow and then it becomes a red. Um, So that's not really how it was called. But that if it had been called that way, I think that would have been the way that would have felt more reasonable to me to be issued a straight red for basically a tap of the neck is something I just I just don't understand. I know the hand to face contact uh, contact is something that's really um, important uh, in MLS, and they they want to eliminate that as much as possible. That very often leads to red cards. But uh, I mean, he patted Gutierrez on the neck. So yeah, I think it was, <laughs> I think it was a friendly. So Gutierrez and Fernandez had sort of been getting into it, and I think what Fernandez was doing was reaching his arm out to sort of be like, "Hey, man." were cool. Like, I think he was, I think it was an olive branch of sorts. (laughs) It was ending the scuffle. And you see this, I don't know if it's like something that guys do or like guys who play soccer do, but you see it a lot. Like Gio, when he's showing affection to his players, he'll put his hand sort of on the player's neck towards the back of their head. It's like a sign of endearment. That's something we see a lot. And I think that's what Brian Fernandez was trying to do. It's hard to say. I mean, I've watched the replay many times. I tweeted out a gif of that moment. I'm not exactly sure what was going on. The referee was also standing right in between Fernandez and Gutierrez. So it's unclear how much Brian Fernandez could even see where his arm was going. It was just sort of a messy thing. But like you said, MLS is very strict about this neck and face head rule. I mean, Kaká for Orlando City in 2017, he playfully touched a player's face. Both of them were laughing, and he got a red card for that. And Orlando City didn't even appeal it because they put out a statement and 
essentially hinted that they thought they wouldn't win that appeal because MLS is very strict. They have a rule and it's the letter of the law. So I don't know if the Timbers are going to win this appeal. I actually think that they won't because, like I said, I think to the letter of the law, his hand technically did touch Felipe Gutierrez's neck. People probably don't know how this works, but teams are allowed two unsuccessful red card appeals per season. They put in $25,000, and if they don't use those up, they get the money back. If they try to appeal and it doesn't go through, they lose the money. So I think when Orlando City didn't appeal Kakaz, I don't know if they didn't have enough left. I thought I think they just thought they were going to lose that money. So the Timbers have made a decision. They're going for it. They think they have a case. But the MLS Disciplinary Committee makes stupid decisions all the time. They follow the letter of the law. They don't care about the spirit of the law. And so I think that the appeal is not going to work. I guess I would be a little bit more optimistic on the appeal working. I I think you've convinced me a little bit more for the reasons of why it might not work, but uh, it's just hard for me to look at that and think that a reasonable, and maybe maybe that's the wrong terminology. Maybe that's where I'm wrong here, but a reasonable committee (laughs) would look at that and not overturn it. But yeah, uh, we'll see. And this is going to have big implications for the Timbers heading into San Jose. Obviously, Fernandez has been sick. He hasn't been playing well. So based on where the Timbers are at right now, maybe whether he plays or not doesn't change a ton. But yeah. he they he clearly is a good player when he's at his best. And I think the Timbers would prefer to have him available for uh, yeah. a game, a playoff deciding game next week. They clearly want him. Yeah to be back so there was no hesitation they immediately I'm sure you heard immediately I heard immediately that it was being appealed so they really want him back just before we get into that that game next week uh just you know the rest of the game Espria of all people scores the equalizer on a penalty kick uh when Jeremy Abobasi is taken down the box I said a few weeks ago on the hot takes that uh we would never see Espria again so there you go. I said it would probably be next week where I was wrong. So that was quick. <laughs> Interestingly, uh, Gio doesn't sub Diego Valerian. Um, I think Ross and Jake said on the broadcast that Diego might have been dealing with a little bit of a knock. Um, do you have any, hear anything more about Diego? Or were you surprised to see him on the bench but not be subbed in? Uh, I missed that on the broadcast. I didn't realize that they had said that. But... I don't know. I just thought it was because Diego Valeri has played in the previous 17 games for, for the Timbers. So maybe uh, maybe he needed a little bit of a break. Yeah. Of course, if that's the case, why was he on the bench at all? I mean, put Thomas Konechny on the bench or something. I, I do think there is another element, which is sometimes Gio's substitute choices don't make a lot of sense to me necessarily. I think a lot of times coaches are using substitutes to sort of change the dimension of how the team is playing. Oftentimes it'll be when a team is down and they need a goal or when they're up and they're trying to maintain their lead. So they will make a substitution that is going to help the team attack in a different way or solidify their defense. And in this case, the Timbers were down a goal and Gio just sort of seems to put some fresh legs on. I mean, I guess it worked. They they got a draw, and they really needed that draw, if you look at the standings and kind of where they're at in the playoff race. A loss would have been 
pretty bad for them. So I guess it worked, but I maybe it's a topic for another day. I think we have to move on. We've been talking for 40 minutes now already, but I think that Geo's substitution patterns overall this season, I don't know that they've been super successful or have sort of indicated to me clear tactical plans for what to do with the late subs. So yeah, that's a whole other thing. But if Diego Valeri had a knock, then that's an explanation. <laughs> Although, why was he on the bench? Yeah, it, was, it would be very surprising to see a player on the bench that has a legitimate knock that's going to keep them out of a game. So I did, I think, raise questions about the substitution patterns. We'll see if we can get an update from Gio this week um, or, or ahead of the game, at least in terms of Valeri's condition, because obviously... Uh, that would not be good for the Timbers if Valeri couldn't play, especially if Fernandez couldn't play as well. So um, that leads us into next week's game. That is the Timbers' final game of the regular season. Every MLS team will play on Sunday at 1 p.m. It's decision day. They want all the games to kick off at the same time so teams aren't uh, looking at the standings and everyone's playing as if other games haven't happened yet. The Timbers are playing a San Jose team that has lost the last five games, had been, I I think, in maybe even second place in the Western Conference and has just been dropping down. They're now in eighth. The Timbers uh, would clinch a playoff berth uh, with a win or a draw over San Jose or if Dallas draws or loses. And the Timbers can finish no higher than sixth at this point. So how confident are you? Um, And like you said, the draw against Kansas City was important for all those implications to to be in effect how confident are you at this point the Timbers are going to be in playoffs well we'll get to the predictions and you will find out if I think the Timbers will win get a tie or a loss but I think at this point it's sort of 50 50 sort of up in there I mean yes the earthquakes have lost their last five games I don't think they are you know the worst team in MLS I think you could look at five straight losses and say This is a team that is due for a win. Law of averages. Is this a team that should lose six straight? I'm not really sure about that. Like the Timbers, I think the Quakes have felt aggrieved by some of the referee decisions and think that they have been hard done by some of the calls. So they are definitely in a rough patch. I think the Earthquakes are a beatable team, but I don't look at this record and say, oh yeah, the Timbers should win this. I look at this record and say, the Earthquakes are due to finally not lose a game. So it's fortunate for the Timbers that they don't need a win and that a draw is enough. But I think that adds an interesting sort of question going into this game. Is Giovanni Savarese, is the team going to be playing for a draw or for a win? Gio claimed that he only knows how to play for a win, I don't think that's true at all. So I guess uh, I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the Timbers have five losses at home this year, but but that also means that they have, uh, I think it's 11 or 12 um, non-losses. I, I mean, the, the record's not as good as home at home as you would like, but the Timbers are still not, more of the time than not, they are at least getting a draw or a win at home. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that the Timbers, and I'll, I'll say it now, we'll have my predictions later, but I think the Timbers are going to make playoffs at this point. I think that 
they probably need that winner to draw because Dallas is hosting Kansas City on the final day of the regular season. Kansas City is going to be without two players because the Timbers, uh, we saw two red cards <laughs> in that game. So you're facing a Kansas City team down two starters that has nothing to play for on the road where they haven't been that good. So I would be surprised if Dallas doesn't win that game. Yeah. Anything can happen. So that adds a little bit of a percentage boost, I think, to the Timbers because anything can happen there. But I... In predicting the weekend, I'm almost going under the assumption that Dallas is going to win that game. But I still think at home that the Timbers should absolutely be able to get at least get a draw. But like you said, it, with how they've been playing, with these crazy games we've had, it, it's really hard to predict at this point. Well, that's just a little teaser for yes. our predictions because I have a feeling that I feel differently about this game than you do. But we'll get there for now. I think we should get into the hot take segment. I think your hot take sort of relates to this conversation a little bit. So maybe you should go first. Yeah. Like I said, I I think that the Timbers are going to make playoffs at this point. Um, Like I also said, the the highest the Timbers can finish is sixth or seventh. Um, So they are going to finish if they win this weekend just barely with a winning record. Right now, I I think they're 13, 13, and seven. Uh, So kind of the how they do this weekend is going to determine whether they even have a winning record. I just don't think that that's a successful year. And and I I think that it's possible. We've seen in other years, the Timbers will finish in six and then make a run, maybe even to MLS cup. We we saw it in previous years. I, I, they finish fifth and they make a run. They finish fourth and they make a run. But I don't think we should be viewing this as, as a successful season. I don't think this team has been playing well. Mm-hmm. I think this team came out of a really tough stretch on the road earlier in the year and then sort of just blew it in the second half of the season. Uh, so if they somehow sneak into playoffs, even if they make a run, I, I don't want everyone to look at this with rose-colored glasses at the end of the season and say, what a great year. I think at this point, it's fair to say that the Timbers haven't had a good enough season and regardless of what happens this point forward, this year should really not be viewed as a success. Yeah, and I think that context sort of matters when you talk about whether the season was a success or not because, look, the Timbers spent a ton of money to bring in Brian Fernandez, and he hasn't been a bust like Lucas Milano, thank goodness. But I think 11 goals and an assist is fine, but I think if you ask the Timbers when they signed him, they were hoping for more. And I think when you look in the context of how ambitious the Timbers were trying to be and where they have ended up this season, I think it's a letdown. I think it's a disappointment. And, you know, when you look at last season, they went 16 games without a loss. They reached MLS Cup. I think there were high hopes that this team was almost there. They just needed that one last missing piece, and that was Brian Fernandez. And I talked about it already. I don't think Giovanni Savarese has been inspiring this group this year the way he did last year. The team has looked disjointed. And I think, like you said, the team hasn't been playing well, and I think that actually matters in this conversation. I think the style of play has not been fun to watch. I am not going to look back on this season and say that this was a particularly fun and exciting team to watch. Like we talked about, the morale hasn't been good, and I think when you look at where the Timbers finish, you look at how they've been playing on the field, add in iron front stuff, add in sort of the weirdness of the schedule and playing all these games at Providence Park. 
I don't think you can call the season a success at all. I think this has been a tough season, and that's fair to say. I, I don't think it's fair to just sort of look at the standing and say, well, they made playoffs, so it's a success. Well, that was uh, I thought that was going to be a little bit of a hotter take given uh, coming off an MLS Cup last year, but I guess we both sort of agree there. Maybe you have a hotter take than I had. Um, I don't. Spoiler alert, <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it anyway. Um, in the Reds game, I think that VAR was a talking point because of a very harsh penalty that VAR got involved in. I think in the Sporting Kansas City, again, VAR played a role. Roger Espinoza got his red card after a VAR check, and they looked at the footage of him choking Sebastian Blanco. Fun fact, Roger Espinoza now holds the lead in career red cards in MLS, so congratulations to him. Quite the honor. But I think if you look at the video, I think Andy Polo may have caught Felipe Gutierrez in the face. I think if Brian Fernandez got a card for what he did, other players were doing similar things. I think there could have been more cards. And there was video footage, I'm sure, from many angles of that brawl. I do think that Johnny Russell was offside on Sporting Kansas City's second goal. So they have the right to feel hard done by that particular call not being made. And that takes me to my point and my take, which is... I see people constantly point out that VAR is missing calls or, or mistakes are still happening even though we have VAR, and what's the point of having VAR if we still have all these mistakes? And I totally agree. I don't think VAR is leaving, however. I think it's the sort of thing, once you have it, you're stuck with it. They are not getting rid of VAR. So I think they need to figure out how to make it a little more consistent, make the standard of what should be reviewed and not reviewed, what should be a card, etc. I think all of that just needs to be more consistent. That is the main thing with refereeing and VAR consistency. So I was thinking, how, how do you fix that? How do you make it more consistent? Maybe MLS should copy the NHL. The way they do video review is they have one control center, a war room in Toronto that is viewing all of the footage and all of the decisions are actually happening out of there. And you get the same people who are making these decisions. You have the same setup, the same technology. You have a workflow and a standard that is followed every time and makes sense. And I just wonder if the system of certain referees are a VAR one week, then the next week they're the center referee and they're you know, going market to market, city to city, going to all these different venues and playing different roles. I think maybe you just want the same people in the same role and having some sort of control center making these decisions could actually help. I mean, it's 2019. We have the technology, we have, you know, the internet and all these things. So I don't know. I just think that VAR isn't consistent and we need to think about why isn't it consistent. Yes, humans are flawed and they make mistakes. There's nothing we can do about that. But maybe there's something in the procedures and kind of how we're using VAR where we can try to eke out a little more consistency because I think it just frustrates fans and makes the game less fun. And I think it's worth trying to figure out. Yeah, I think you... As you know, you've talked about, you you see it in other sports um, where you have centralized control areas that, that sort of handle video review. So 
Uh, I don't know if it would work. I don't, I don't know if it would be a big change, but there obviously are different VAR setups from stadium to stadium, even though they're standardized to some degree. Um, there's different referees doing VAR for individual games. So I think anything's worth a try. The refereeing clearly hasn't been consistent. The VAR clearly hasn't been consistent. MLS should, I think, regardless of whether it's this or something else, should be looking at ways to get better in terms of uh, how it's implementing VAR. Yeah. Or honestly, just get rid of VAR. I hate it. it. No, that's not going to happen. But to be fair, it's not something we only see in MLS. I think the Premier League is going through some growing pains at the moment where people are realizing just what the reality of having VAR in your league looks like. But I do think it should be a goal to continue to make it better, to continue to improve it, and follow the examples of other leagues, see what maybe has been working. So, you know, fingers crossed that it gets better. It's just frustrating and not fun when it isn't working properly. Well, a game that didn't have a VAR controversy and didn't have much because controversy. There's no VAR. <laughs> because there's no VAR. But really didn't have much controversy in determining the game. It was pretty clear uh, who the better team was. Uh, yeah. It was Thorne's first reign. Uh, I said a 1-1 draw with a purse goal. Thorns didn't score, so that nope. didn't happen. Uh, you said a 1-0 loss, so you thought it would be difficult again in Seattle. Thorns red card. That didn't happen, but the Thorns do lose 2 to nothing to the rain. They finished the season without getting a draw or a win against the rain. They they lost every time they played their rivals, so That's rough. I'm sure they're not happy about that. Um, Tobin Heath doesn't play. Lindsay Horan is stretchered off towards the end of the game. She said on Twitter today that she was doing better, but we'll have to get an update on exactly what that means. Luckily, the Thorns do have a, the international break and have two weeks before their next game. So maybe yeah. that gives her enough time to get back. Maybe that gives Heath enough time to get back, but the thorns lose out on second place. They're now in danger of falling to fourth place. If they can't get the job done on the last day of the season, got a lot of questions like this, but Jeff says the thorns are melting down before our eyes. <laughs> Who, what, why? Uh, every team has national players, national team players coming and going. Seattle's roster was depleted by injury, yet they've pulled it together. Why are are the Thorns doing so badly? Yeah, I think, well, looking specifically at this game, I think that sort of the difference I saw is that the rain has players who are stepping up, and the Thorns, quite frankly, don't. Jody Taylor has scored two key goals for the rain in the last two games. Bethany Balzer, she's a rookie who went undrafted in the NWSL draft. Rain signed her. She's been having a great season. She scored three, or she scored in three of the Rain's last four games. So the Rain has players who are kind of proving their worth, who are stepping up in ways that I don't know if before the season we were expecting big things out of these players. Whereas on the Thorns, I don't think you can look on that roster and pick out a player who is really stepping up say, this player is proving herself. I just, I can't think of any. And I feel like we sort of talked about this on the last podcast and previous podcasts. I think we've agreed that Midge Purse's work rate has been really good, and we've seen a lot of good things from her. I don't know that we've seen that final piece. The finishing hasn't really been there. And I can't really think of another player who is outworking or outperforming the players around her. I think that 
Tobin Heath is a special player, and not having her definitely hurt the Thorns quite a bit in this game. But I, I think you need more than just Tobin Heath's talent. I think you need players who are sort of taking the game by the scruff of the neck and you know dominating and trying to impose themselves. And I just haven't seen it. And we, we talked about it in the last podcast. I think that every player on the Thorns seemed overall is having a worse season than they did last year. I think we disagreed a little bit about that, but overall I just I see a sort of desperation and a directness in the way the Thorns have been playing that leads me to believe that this team is not ready to win an NWSL championship and it almost doesn't matter where they end up in the playoffs because they're not just they're just not playing like a team that is ready to contend for a title and and I saw someone on Twitter say that the Thorns problems are essentially just a less severe case of the Timbers problems. And I sort of feel that way. Like, the Timbers aren't playing fun, confident, attacking soccer, neither are the Thorns. So I think that's a problem. I think on the other side of the ball, you can look at the defense in this game and there are concerns there. I think the Thorns were not closing down spaces quickly enough. There was just a little too much standing around, ball watching. It was lackadaisical defending. There wasn't the sort of pressure and winning the ball back that I think we sort of associate as being the Thorns' identity. So I don't know. I think there are a few problems, but this is rough. I mean, they lost all of their games against their biggest rival this season, and their rival beating them is what put the rain into the playoffs and denied the Thorns a chance to host. So, I mean, that was a really tough game. What do you think? Yeah, I think defensively they've uh, regressed. Uh, so I think that's a problem. I, I think there's been a, a number of times this season we've seen uh, goals that they give up that you have to look at it. And they're, I'm sure they're looking at uh, in the video room and, and recognizing that this player needs to do this and this player needs to do that. And that didn't happen. I, I mean, there's, situations that really come down to the defense just needing to be better in in those moments. But uh, for me, it comes down to the attack because I I think the attack has carried this team. Um, I know the defense has been good over the years. Players like Emily Mangas, Emily Sonnet, they're good players. But I think when the attack is scoring a bunch of goals, it it doesn't really matter uh, how the defense is uh, to some degree. I I mean, it just it takes pressure off the back line when the attack holds the ball more. And the Thorns haven't been able to be that attacking force that we've seen in previous years. Lindsay Oran has a goal and, and two assists this year. Tobin Heath has three goals and three assists. I think a couple of those came before the World Cup. Christine Sinclair was doing better, but that was more right out of the the World Cup. Uh, She's cooled off. Haley Rosso's cooled off. You just look through that entire attack, and you have really big names there, but they're not doing anything uh, compared to what we've seen these players do, what they're capable of in previous years. So... I I think given the talent level, there's always a chance that this team can make some sort of run and, and there's only two games in playoffs, so you never know what's going to happen. But one way or another, and, and it might be in the semifinals at this point because the Thorns have put it themselves in a position where that could happen, they're going to have to play North Carolina in, in the playoffs if they want to win the championship. Yeah, And I don't see any way at all right now that this team would come close to being North Carolina based on the performances we've been seeing. Yeah, and I think that's sort of the question going into the last game of the season. So 
I guess let's preview it. The Thorns are playing the Washington Spirit on Saturday, October 12th. Uh, Washington has already been eliminated from the playoffs. They have nothing on the line. The Thorns, however, are fighting for third place in the standings. If Seattle wins, Seattle's playing earlier in the day. So if Seattle wins their game versus Orlando, then the Thorns have to beat the Washington Spirit to get that third place seed. If Seattle loses, then sort of this game against Washington doesn't really matter. But I'm going to assume that uh, Seattle is going to win because Orlando is absolutely terrible and is the last place team in the league. So assuming that Seattle wins, the Thorns really have to win this game if they want to avoid having to play North Carolina uh, in the semifinals. And I think that's sort of an important thing. I mean... Like I said, I don't feel great about the Thorns' chances to win in NWSL Championship, but I still think they want to go as far as they can. And if they have to face the Courage in the semifinal, that's going to spell uh, a short playoff run for them because we don't need to keep bringing it up. It is painful to think about, but that 6-0 win sort of said everything we need to know uh, about that matchup. So, um I mean, would you agree that that sort of kind of has to be the goal right now? Just avoid Carolina for as long as possible? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it sort of hurts the thorns that the first tiebreaker in the NWSL is head-to-head. That's why Seattle's in a position where they can jump over the thorns or Tacoma, uh, I guess I should be calling them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the thorns, like you said, it, it lost every time to the rivals this year. So they're in that position where they don't have that tiebreaker. The Thorns have done well against Chicago this year. Some of their best performances this year have been against Chicago. Some of their best performances in, in recent years have been against Chicago. So the one benefit of finishing third is even though they'd be headed on the road, is they're playing a team that were, where they've had a favorable matchup. Mm-hmm. And, and so I have a lot more confidence that the Thorns could potentially make it to the championship if they face Chicago in the first round. If they face North Carolina, I would be absolutely shocked if they survive that game, especially on the road. So yeah, there's a lot to play for in in this final game against Washington. And like you said, there's no MLS decision day. So maybe by the time the Thorns take the field, uh, there may be less to play for, or at least the Thorns will know what they're playing for at that point. But that loss to Tacoma was huge for for the Thorns. Uh, It really put them in a bad spot. And now they really are, I, I think. Because anything can happen if needing a win, that's not just needing a tie like the Timbers do. Anything can happen even if it's on their home field. So, yeah. Well, I tough spot. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that we both think that North Carolina is going to win uh, the NWSL championship again. Yes. It's hard to see how any of these teams can take on the courage with the way that they're playing right now. But I guess that is sort of the point of playoffs. I mean, anything can happen. I do think to maximize the Thorns chances, they need to avoid Carolina. And you make a great point that the Thorns do match up well against Chicago. So it's sort of double to play for. So like I said, we'll have to pay attention to uh, the rain game. That definitely is going to be important earlier in the day, but Orlando is terrible. I would be shocked if Orlando did not lose badly. Yeah, so I mean, I think we kind of touched on it there, but Kevin wanted to know if, if we could convince him that either the Timbers or the Thorns uh, would not be eliminated in the first uh, playoff game, assuming the Timbers <laughs> make it to the playoffs. He says it just feels like neither team has what they need to not be a one and done. 
I think I just gave my explanation for why I think the Thorns can make it past the the first mm-hmm. round. It's simply yeah. because the matchup against Chicago is better. And if they get that matchup, if they get lucky enough to get that matchup, I think they have a decent chance. The Timbers right now would, uh, if everything stands, would face Seattle. I think another option is Minnesota is a possibility. Uh, and I think the I, Galaxy, Galaxy is I think the other one, maybe. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Galaxy would be the other one. They've gone to Seattle and won before. They've gone to the Galaxy and won before. But I'm not saying this with a lot of confidence. You, <laughs> I hear you it do in have an voice, argument, Jamie. <laughs> You're not really convincing me or Kevin, I assume. No. Do you? I mean, the, the Timbers have done well at times on the road this season, but I, I think that that was a, a different point in the season. I just don't see them in that they're those road warriors from May or whatever it was when they really went on that good run. I, I mean... Do you see the Timbers or or the Thorns, if you disagree with me, being anything more than a one and done? Well, I think that I do think that both teams are sort of limping into the playoffs, assuming that the Timbers even make it, which is still not for sure. But we talk so much about peaking at the right time and going into playoffs in good form and feeling good. I mean, wasn't that the narrative in 2015? I remember talking about how poorly the Timbers were playing. You and I had talked about, we did not have a podcast, so privately we we wondered whether Caleb Porter would be fired at the end of the season. And then the Timbers have that game against RSL, and then they go on a run into playoffs, and then suddenly they're red hot. And... Then they make a run to MLS Cup, and we sort of look at the form they had going into playoffs as dictating how far they would go. And if we believe that that's a real thing, that peaking at the right time and being in good form matters, I don't know how you can look at either the Timbers or the Thorns and say, oh yeah, this this is a team that's going to make a run. So... I apologize, Kevin. I cannot convince you because I don't believe it myself, and I don't think I'm that persuasive. If I were, I don't know, maybe I should be a lawyer or something instead because I, I got nothing for you, Kevin. I I agree with you. I think, uh, I think one and done is sort of how I'm <laughs> feeling at this point, but we do still have uh, the last games of the regular season for each team. Maybe... I don't believe this at all, but maybe this is that RSL game. This is this is the game that sort of sparks things. Maybe everything finally comes together. If it doesn't, then I stand by what I said, that, you know, one and done. Hey, I mean, if uh, Espria can score a penalty <laughs> kick to, to give the Timbers a draw on the road. If we are putting and... all of the Timbers hopes on Dairon Espria, then God help us. Oh, man. I mean, he, d- he did, though. I, he he can... scored a big equalizer. It was important. That was a real thing I, that happened. Anything can happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's 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 get to predictions. Uh, we think we probably, listeners probably know what a, each of our confidence levels are right now, but let's let's predict these games, uh, get, get our opinions out there, so we'll see how right or wrong they are. <laughs> Timbers versus San Jose, final day of the regular season. What do you have? Caitlin. Jamie, spoiler alert, I know that you're going to be kind of positive about this, so I'm going to go as negative as humanly possible. I have a 2-1 loss, and I think the Timbers are going to score an own goal. Oh, man. (laughs) Can you imagine a worse loss on the last day of the regular season? I cannot. I... 
now I want to go look up that 2014 or uh, no 2016 Vancouver Timbers <laughs> score on the last day of the season because I feel like it was worse than that, but maybe it wasn't. It felt pretty bad though. This would feel pretty bad as well. If Lucas Milano had scored, that would have saved the season. So it was it was a very yeah. close game, and I think. I think that's what made it most excruciating. Like, if you're blown out, you're blown out. You have enough time to process it. But it was right until the last moment in Vancouver that it all just slipped away. So I'm predicting something similarly horrifying just to (laughs) leave everyone on a cheering note. (laughs) Well, I think that San Jose is in a bad run of form. I, I think that the Tibbers are at home. I think that gives them the advantage. I think they're going to find a way to get it done against the San Jose team that's fading. I feel like I've made a lot of predictions recently about the other team's form and they haven't always panned out, but I'm going to say a 2-0 win and I'm going to go to make my side bet a little bit harder. I'm going to go with that Blanco and Abobasi are the goal scorers. Well, I think there's nothing wrong with betting on a home team. I think if we actually bet money, I would probably just always bet on the home <laughs> team because statistically that's probably right. <laughs> All right, Thorns versus Washington. They aren't playing this weekend, but but we're going to predict it now anyways. Uh, looking ahead a little bit, what do you have? Yeah, so I think that the Thorns are going to win, despite everything we just talked about in our last segment. Uh, I'm going to say a 2-1 win for the Thorns, and I feel like we tend to predict the Portland goals, but I'm going to predict the Washington goal. I'm going to say that Mallory Pugh is going to score. I'm going to go with another 2-0 win. I'm going to keep it consistent. Uh, Both (laughs) teams are going to have pretty decisive end of the season wins at home. I'm going to go with the Christine Sinclair goal. She has uh, scored some goals this season, uh, doing a little bit better statistically than some of the other attackers. And it's been a few games. So I I think that she's going to find a way to get done here. Yeah, she's probably due. And I feel like that would be a fitting way to sort of – finish the regular season on a high note. So I hope your prediction happens. (laughs) Uh, Let's get to the fantasy update before we go. In our head-to-head league, we have uh, third place, Danzo McDowell. That is Dan. Second place, we have Sloppy, Sloppy, Sloppy. That is Steve. Mark continues to be in first place. Uh, That's Flicking Portland PTFC. And in our open league, in third place, we have Gem City FC. That is Ryan. In second place, uh, apparently uh, we've had a little bit of change there. Uh, we have Jamie B. Goldberg FC. Woo! That, that is Christian. <laughs> so I really appreciate the uh, shout out there. And Triumphant glad, return. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad they, they're moving back up. Um, but in first place, B uh, has been there for a while. That's Portland Tobin FC. Uh, still is hanging on to that first place. But glad to see Jamie B. Goldberg FC back in the mix. <laughs> We all are, Jamie. We all are. I know. You guys don't want to get rid of me, I I, I think. Maybe. I hope that <laughs> once you fully transition to the Blazers beat, just in memory of you, everyone's fantasy team <laughs> should be variations of your name just because, you know, we're going to miss you. So keep it up, you guys. I'm rooting for, what's the team called again? Jamie B. Goldberg Jamie- FC? Yes. I'm I'm rooting for them. I will root for all Jamie Goldberg related teams. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Maybe I'll play fantasy someday since I never have. We'll see. Uh, at least yeah, now that you'll a be game. a fan, it'll be uh, less stressful. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but before we get there, we have a few more weeks of the pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, we 
I think we might be off next week with the Thorns not playing for a week and with the playoffs not starting for a week, but but we'll make that decision later on. But we will be back uh, before whatever playoff runs are happening with both teams. You can find us every week on Oregon Live, Stumptown Footy. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. And until next week, take care.